Josh preached a killer sermon last Sunday. All right? It's probably not a good word, but he nailed it, man. You know, you know what I loved about it? The presentation was awesome, but the content was amazing. So I really appreciate that. And, uh, and Josh sharing that message. It kind of made it a little easier for me today. You know, Galatians is kind of a tough book because it's one theme that runs all the way through. And probably by the time you're done, you're gonna, we're done with the book, you're going to say, I'm, I'm, I heard enough. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, so Josh referenced um, the 1919 uh, Chicago White Sox and how there was eight players on the team that blew the World Series that got kicked out of baseball and and weren't able to play anymore. And that's really what the Field of Dreams movie is based on. Ray hears this voice, and it tells him, as an Iowa farmer, that if he builds the baseball field, they'll come. And who he really wanted to come was Shoeless Joe Jackson. That's who he wanted to show up, because that was his dad's favorite baseball player. And his dad was, was a player himself, but never made it to the majors. And so, but the thing about the story is that Ray had a disagreement as a teenager with his dad, and he called his dad's favorite player a criminal. And that's what he was. And he left home and never saw his dad alive again. So he has this dream that if he builds his field, he'll come. So he builds a field in this, this baseball field in the cornfield. And Shoeless Joe Jackson shows up, along with other players from that era, and they play baseball. And the voice continues to tell him he travels a few places, and on his way back to Iowa, he's telling the story to someone else, and he said, you know, you know, this was my story between my dad and I, and I was hoping that when Shoeless Joe Jackson came back that that would kind of reconcile and make things okay with me but it hasn't. I have regrets. I don't have peace. And here's the message of the book of Galatians, that there is no peace outside of Christ. There is no reconciliation. There is no you know, place for our regrets to be healed except through Christ. And um, so we're in a series. It's titled The Gospel, No Upstate, Updates Needed. And Paul's laboring through this book of Galatians, and he's, he's, trying, he's purposely trying to prove a theological point that salvation comes as a free gift from God through Jesus Christ and the work on the cross. It's not the result of works, or it's not the result of following the law. And he's driving out these false teachers who are seeking to enslave the Galatians by presenting the law to them and telling them that they need to follow the law, not necessarily the grace of Jesus. We could title the entire book of Galatians the defense of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul warns the Galatian Christians who are being influenced by a new teaching that really, you know, contradicts the gospel of God's grace. Now, it's difficult for Paul because he had preached initially to this group of people about Jesus. And they accepted it. They accepted the gospel. They invited Christ into their lives and they believed what they were told, but now they were being led astray. They had received God's blessing by putting their faith in Jesus. 
So we ask ourselves the question, what kind of blessing did they receive? Well, first of all, they received uh, the forgiveness of their sins. In other words, they had been justified before God and made righteous because of what Christ had done. They were now in right standing with God because of their faith in the cross and in Jesus. They had also been adopted into God's, as God's children and included in Abraham's family of faith. And there's one more thing that they received. They received the Holy Spirit, whom God promises to those who open their hearts to him through Jesus. When you invited Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit took residence in you. It's an indwelling, it's an infilling. Now, that might look different to different people. And I'm not here to try to show you any difference. But I know that the Holy Spirit resides in me and resides in you if you've made your commitment to Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us and changes us. In verse 14 of that third chapter, and Josh covered this last week in such a great way, he said, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And what had happened in the, in the, with the Christian in Galatia, they had, um, they, they had received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in their hearts and was beginning to purify them and mature them and, and work in their lives. And, and, and they were growing in their faith. And, you know, Jesus was more alive and he, they were being formed into his image. And now comes along this new teaching. You and I have received the same promise of faith in Jesus Christ. And then these false teachers came along and they were influencing these Galatian Christians to turn their hearts away from the gospel. They taught them that putting their faith in Jesus Christ, that they, now that they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they should now begin to obey the laws that God had given to the Jews. In other words, now that they had received the promise of God and become God's children, they should work hard to maintain uh, their Christian lives by observing the law and that was given to Moses. The argument was so convincing that these Christians were being fooled into obeying the law. And Paul told them bluntly, if you do that, you're cursed and you'll find yourself under the curse of the law. The essence of his argument is that God gave the gospel to save and God gave the law to guide and especially show them and show us our sin and therefore our needing of a savior and saving grace. God gave the law to show how far we had fallen. And Paul continues this argument in chapters three and four of the book of Galatia, Galatians and um, He's using Old Testament proof, uh, Old Testament to prove a New Testament reality or truth. But we need to see the Bible as really one grand story. It's a story of God's grace from the beginning to the end. And what we see in the past can help us see the truth that's in the present. And so we pick it up in verse 15 today. And Paul explains the nature of the promise that God had made. And I just want to remind you, God's promises are unchanging. And that's why I've titled the message, A Promise is a Promise. When God promises you something, 
Nothing's going to change that. God's true to it. And in verse 15, it says, I give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant. No one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. And Paul is beginning to explain the difference between living by the law and living by faith. And he says, let me give you an example from, an, from everyday life. Let me try to explain it this way. If you make a contract with somebody, all right? Now, there's a difference between contract and covenant. If I draw up a contract, contract is really, contract is really based in distrust. I'm going to draw this legal document because I'm not sure you're going to fulfill your commitment. So I'm going to hold you to this legally. But covenant is something that's once it's spoken, it doesn't change. There's no wiggle room in that. All right? And so say you draw up a will and you're giving your, all your possessions to someone. It's signed, it's witnessed. That contract is solid. And the, when the day comes when you pass, okay, no one com, can come in and alter that will that's been written up. It's irrevocable, which means it can't be changed. It can't be reversed. It's final. No matter the circumstances that pers of that person's life or what you've, everything you've been promised belongs to you and you get it. No one can write you out of that will. Another person can't come along and change it. And in this case, God signed a covenant with Abraham, giving him life and blessings based on his faith in God. And basically what he said to Abraham back in Genesis is, because you believed in me, that's I, God, make you righteous. I consider you justified before me forever. Paul refers to this in Romans 4, 3. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. In other words, his righteousness came out of the promise that God had given him. And he told Abraham that you live in my presence and you'll inherit eternal life and the kingdom of God. No one could change the promise that God made to Abraham. Paul uses that word ratified, which means officially valid. No changing that. And here are you and I. We come to Jesus and we give him our life. He's made a covenant with us. And he promises us. And see, here, here was the problem. The promise was given way back in Genesis. And then the law came. And what these people were trying to do is say, yeah, the promise is there, but now you got to live by the law. In other words, that promise is like, doesn't really, not that important. And that's the whole essence of what we believe. If Paul cannot defend the gospel, then we might as well close the doors, lock them, God bless you. We're not meeting on Sunday anymore. Live your life and try to earn your own salvation. That's basically what it says in Paul. Says he, that's why he so adamantly defends this truth because it's the core of who we are and what we believe. And no one can erase your name off the will of the promise that God has given. No one can uh, erase your name and replace it with someone else's. No one can deny you your inheritance. And these false teachers were trying to get them to hit the delete button on their salvation. 
And they were saying, unless you come under the Mosaic law and follow it, that's the only way that you can be righteous. In verse 16, Paul tells us something that's really incredible. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. In other words, Paul is telling us here that God's promise first and foremost was made to Abraham and his seed. And the scripture doesn't say in the seeds, which means like generally to everybody. He says, but to your seed. And then he comes at the end there first, he says, meaning one person who is Jesus Christ. Okay. And we need to realize that what Jesus did was a completed work. In other words, the promise of life and blessing and eternal life was made to Abraham and his seed in the coming of Christ, the Savior. He was saying that God promised to send the Savior, Jesus Christ, through the line and lineage of Abraham to bless the whole world. And then next, Paul jumps kind of like into redemptive history, and he talks about he moved from Abraham 2000 B.C. to um, uh, Moses in 1450 B.C., in verses 17 and 18. And it says this, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham as a promise. And what Paul's saying here in verse 17 is when God gave Abraham and his descendants the law and then 430 years after Abraham, God never intended to cancel the promise. The promise came first. And these false teachers were trying to get them to change their position. And the argument that these false teachers were making was very tricky and believable. They were telling the Galatians, you receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Now to maintain and guarantee your blessing, you have to follow the law. You have to work hard at your Christian life by obeying the laws so you can grow and mature and maintain righteousness before God. And Paul had to fight very hard against this because our righteousness is based on what Christ has done, not on us following rules and regulations. When we bring the law to bear upon our justification, we undo the work of Christ on the cross and minimize the glory of God's grace. I want to say that again because this is really the important point. When we bring the law to bear upon our justification, we undo the work of Christ on the cross and minimize the glory of God's grace. The gospel is something that God did through Jesus Christ, and we receive the gospel by faith. The law is something we're required to do, but the law is not based on faith. The gospel saves, the law condemns. And this is what God's word says. The law is just that. It's laws, regulations, rules, commandments, things that we have to follow. But the good news of the gospel is not bound in rules and regulations and teachings, but rather it's bound in the person. That person is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, to do away with it. Jesus came to satisfy all the demands of the law Therefore, as believers in him, 
that we can no longer be held to following the law, not following the law, but being justified and made righteous through it. And he continues on in verse 19 and 20, and he says, why then the law? What's the purpose? What's the point? Was it added because of trend? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that's Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. And now an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. And basically, Paul is saying, what's the purpose of the law? The law was put in effect to reveal what sin is. The law was put into effect to control the uncontrollable work of sin in our lives. The law was put into effect so we might know that we cannot possibly follow and keep it and be made righteous through it. It was given to lead us to Christ that we might have faith in him. In the promise to Abraham, God said, I will, I will, I will. He gave him, he promised him stuff. But in the law, God said to Moses, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And I hope you see the difference there. The law is just that, again, I'll say it, laws, regulations, rules, and commandments. But the good news of the gospel is not bound in rules and regulations and teachings. It's bound in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 21 and 22. This is what it says. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be made by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And what Paul is saying here is the law doesn't save. The law is not the gospel. It doesn't mean that the law is useless. On the contrary, the law is necessary and very useful in relationship to the gospel and our reception of the gospel. See, if we can understand that we can't keep the law, no one can keep the law. I don't care how good you are, no one can keep the law. That doesn't make us righteous. But... Jesus makes us righteous because of what he's done. And so my dependence has got to be on the work of the cross. And so law is not given to provide a platform from which we can boast our right, about our righteousness, but to give us cause to fall on our knees in repentance, to help us see we're lost, broken, sinful, in need of a savior. We're lawbreakers. And that's the purpose of the law. And Paul really explains this in more detail uh, in the book of, of Romans. Romans 3.20 says, through the, though, the, though, the law, though the law came, through the law came the knowledge of sin. And then in, in uh, Romans 4.5 it says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Romans 7.7 7 says, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known what sin was. And Paul didn't land in the New Testament without first coming and traveling through the Old Testament. He didn't inherit salvation without first find, he didn't inherit salvation without first finding condemnation in the law. And we must journey through the law to find grace. That's what Paul says. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. 
And then he goes on in verse 23 and 27 through 27, he says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So when the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer uh, are under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And what Paul's saying here is the law was given as a guardian or a tutor to help us. But we needed to have Christ come to help us see that we needed salvation. And when the need had been fully met, we no longer needed to go back to the law. And that's what Paul was trying to teach them that. You don't need to go back to that. It doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments and the law are something that we shouldn't follow. But in your experience, in my experience, we haven't been able to keep that, you know? But it certainly provides a guidance for us. We know when we've broken the law. You know, you don't need somebody to come along and tell you you messed up. I mean, God tells you, <laughs> you know? And that's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that's, that's the thing that, so that law cannot provide the freedom that we need. And when that time came and it had been fully met by Christ, we no longer needed to follow and go back to the law. That's what the Galatians are being influenced to do. And then we come to verse 28 and 29, and I tell you, this is a message that our nation and our churches really need to hear. It's a real message. It's because racism is a part of our history. We can't erase that. That's been there. We cannot get rid of it, all right? And it carries over into our future. But see, Christ came. And Christ came to break down that barrier through the gospel. Racism and racial tension is a gospel issue. That's the only way it's going to be resolved. We must not erase the colors, but rather see all colors as equal inheritors of the blessing and salvation of Christ. That's the only way it's going to be taken away. And God is not calling us to racial diversity in our nation, in our church. He's calling us to racial reconciliation. You can't reconcile with someone if you don't sit at the same table with them. If you're not with them, there's no reconciliation that's going to take place. Nothing will happen in our culture unless the gospel is involved. And see, you and I have the message. Jesus entrusted us with the gospel. If any barriers are going to be broken down, it's going to come from you and I and the way that we live our lives. And the enemy hates rec racial reconciliation because Jesus died for it. Let me read you a few verses out of Revelation, and I want you to catch this. This is a future event that's going to take place. And John says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. We've got to be part of that reconciliation that takes place. And we've got to allow God to work in our hearts and our lives to allow that to happen. The Chicago Transfer Company, better known as the band Chicago, back in the 70s, released a song. I, I love their, I loved their, uh, their music. I mean, the harmony was phenomenal. And then they brought that brass piece in. It was like powerful, man. It was just like, yeah. All right. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. I understood what they were saying. <laughs> All right. But anyhow, they had a song. Anybody really know what time it is? That whole song was based on people were running around and they weren't a rat race of life and they weren't thinking about what was really important. They were just concerned about themselves and where they had to go and what they had to do. And the Galatians were forgetting about their past. They were so busy being influenced and following the law that they forgot what was really important. And we need to, we need to be careful as God's people. And we need to understand the times and the seasons. Ephesians 5, 16 says, redeem the times for the days are evil. I don't need to tell you we're living in evil days. I mean, what's right has become wrong. What's wrong has become right, which the scripture said would happen. And we're watching it being played out right before us. One of the, another translation says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the best use of time. On Wednesday night at 8.30 on the property, there was an accident that took place. I don't know if you noticed when you pulled in this grass area, there's a huge oak tree that's down. There's car parts all over the lawn. They came all the way up to the building. 8.30 at night, this young lady, 25, from Port Jefferson, Candace was her name. She was a corrections officer. I don't know the details about her life. I don't know what was happening with her, but she lost control of her car. She broke through the sign that was on the corner, uh, you know, just saying what the industrial envelopment was. She came down the, the, the incline there. Car fell apart, man. You go out there, you'll see car parts everywhere. Things that shouldn't fall off a car fell off. All right? A lot of plastic out there, but there's some heavy metal stuff that, you know. She got killed. Yards away from the church. Right outside where to, next Sunday we're going to have an outdoor service. And we're going to declare and worship our God. There was a tragedy that took place. You and I have got the message. We've got to get it out. And here's what I want to challenge you with today because I really believe that God's going to bring something significant. This didn't happen for no reason on our property. And I believe God's going to do something here that's going to amaze us. We've made ourselves available. We've reached out to the families as best we can and told them that if you want to do something here, the property's available, the building's available. We just want to open it up and say, hey, let this be a place of peace and refuge and maybe make some sense of it all.
But here's what I want you to do. Have your bagels and coffee. And I'm not saying, you know, turn this closing uh, part of the service into a morning time. But I, I want to challenge you maybe to take a walk out there and take a look at the devastation that's there. But also, I want you to pray as a church. Pray for that family. They're grieving, they're hurting. It's a deep wound that may never heal. And yet, just a few yards from where the truth is presented. Next Sunday, we'll be out there worshiping God. Pray for them and believe and ask God to take that tragedy and turn it around and bring something beautiful out of it. Only God can, can uh, you know, bring something beautiful out of, out of, a, out of a mess, you know? But we gotta believe him for that. And this is why Paul was defending the gospel because that's the whole message that we have. If we don't have the gospel, let's give it up. Go live by the law but you won't be righteous, that's for sure. And I won't be. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you uh, for this time to be together as your people. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you and the freedom that we do. And Lord, I pray that um, as we realize how important the work of the cross is to each one of us, God, that we be more committed than ever to believing that you're going to use us to share that message. And God, I pray that you would take this tragedy that's happened on our property, turn it around, God. Be honored through this. Somehow, some way, only you can do this. But Lord, bring beauty out of ashes. Lord, we know you can do it, and we believe you. Lord, I pray for those people in Florida, the devastation of that condo collapsing, lost lives, they can't even find them, families affected by it. Lord, you're moving by your spirit in these difficult times. We're living in troubled times, but God, you promised that when the enemy would come in, that Lord, that you'd raise up a standard against it, and we thank you for that. And God, we thank you that we can be a part of it. Use our lives to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.